Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Innovation for the International Fresh Produce Association. On the podcast, we get to hear from people that are shaping the produce industry with solutions to our biggest problems. Join me as we uncover the opportunities and advancements shaping the future of produce through a tech lens. Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech, where insight meets innovation. Hello, and welcome to the show. Today, we have John Papp, a man of many hats. As we are in all episodes in this season, we will focus on renewable packaging. Welcome, John. It's great to have you. Thanks, Bonnie. A pleasure to be here and talking about sustainability and packaging and everything that falls under that realm. Great. So you're involved in a lot of things. What's kind of the through line of the work that you do? And and tell us a little bit about some of the things you're involved with. Yeah. So like you say, I do wear a lot of hats, but I, I guess that's to my own fault. I just have a hard time <laughs> saying no to a lot of things that I enjoy doing. So at Jack Vandenberg, sustainability is obviously a big piece uh, of what I do amongst a few other things related to food safety and marketing and branding and operations. And again, sustainability being a very big piece. I also participate on the IFPA Sustainability Council, co-chairing the Sustainable Packaging Working Group. And then Thank perhaps, you. <laughs> yes, of course. Happy to be part of that group. And also very big into history. So I was I had the opportunity to marry my passion for fresh produce and history and actually co-host the History of Fresh Produce series on the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. So yeah, doing a lot of different things, but the through line in all that is fresh produce and trying to improve the future of the industry along with the planet. Great. So today we're talking about a much needed shift in the produce industry, the transition from plastic to compostable materials for packaging. Can you give us a brief overview on the current state of plastic use in the industry and the driving factors behind exploring compostable alternatives? Yeah, plastic, what can I say about it? I mean, I think we're all aware at this point that we as a global community have become quite addicted to plastic, obviously. Plastic was born out of a purpose to essentially help resolve our extraction of natural resources. And for a time there, it was doing a great job. But I think we've come to the realization that, well, it's come full circle now in, in the respect to causing more harm than good to the environment. And so, yeah, plastics essentially has broken the circularity of our economy. And what do I mean by that is we are not able to get plastic basically back into our system. It, it, it goes back into the environment in a format that harms the environment. Mm. Um, and what's amazing about a compostable solution is it helps restore that circularity. The theory being that you are using organic material that can go through the supply chain and then return back to nature, completing that circularity. And composting really has been around for centuries. You know, I think we often lose sight that composting is not a new thing. Uh, I guess it's a new thing for our generation, but mm -hmm. composting has been around for centuries. I mean, there's archaeological evidence that it's been people are composting as far back as 12,000 years. 
And so what would that look like? Like what, what did that look like 12,000 years ago when they were composting? Yeah. I mean, they were using, I mean, there was references. So the first, I mean, this is archaeological from 12,000. So we don't know exactly, but yeah. the, the first written record of composting was in 2300 BC with the Akkadian empire. And then on clay tablets was notated the use of manure. So they would have manure piles and then they would take scraps, organic scraps, put that into the manure pile, which has full of microbes. And they would further break down that organic waste and then it would become nutrient rich dirt, which they could use however they would. And actually, George Washington, he was even he sometimes even I mean, he's nicknamed almost everything, but he's also <laughs> our first home comp, our first composter. And he was actually even there's a documentation and letters that he wrote instructing his farmers actually to rake all the organic trash and scraps in his house and then throw it into the dung pile of his animals on the farm to to use to fertilize his soils on his farm because a lot a lot of people don't realize but many of the founding fathers were actually farmers actually about 90% of early americans were farmers so we had this knowledge 2 300 years ago our ancestors most people knew how to compost this wasn't something abnormal or like revolutionary this was something that people knew how to do but over the last couple hundred years we high on a pretty global level i've forgotten how to do this so yeah i think compostable is definitely a very interesting solution in our our waste problem with packaging today yeah and i think you know the issue with plastic is it works too well you know we've gotten dependent on it because it is a good food barrier and so that's why people started using it but starting like you said it you know doesn't it's end of life is not good and so looking at these different alternatives so from an environmental perspective you talked a little bit about it but what are the primary advantages of adopting compostable materials in our supply chain and then are there any inherent challenges or limitations that people have to think about and be prepared to address if, as they look at compostable. Yeah, I mean, I think the the adoption of compostable materials is is pretty obvious. Like we just touched on the circularity component. I mean, with compostable materials, the end of life result is nutrient rich dirt. So you don't have microplastics, you don't have methane, which you know methane is a result of essentially methane producing microbes being present and active without oxygen. So when you're composting something properly, there's oxygen and you are not releasing methane. So, and methane being, you know, the, the most severe greenhouse gas that's affecting our environment. So that right off the bat, very good. Composting always also lowers the greenhouse gases by improving the carbon sequestration in the soil. So you have all these pieces working together. Now, adopting Compostable materials, I mean, there's obviously certain things that are inherently different compared to plastics, which, you know, right off the bat with plastic, you can leave that in a warehouse for years and not have to yeah. worry too much about it. Compostables, again, inherently, they're made to break down eventually. So there are considerations there around temperatures and moistures and things of that nature, but not to the degree where you have to be overly, overly concerned, but you have to be somewhat aware when it comes to challenges, I th honestly, I think the biggest challenges that we faced when it comes to compostables is infrastructure and education. I think those are the biggest challenges. 
education, which again, we just briefly touched on. We knew about this as a species for thousands of years, and we've only recently lost this knowledge over the last couple hundred years. So education is a big piece to make it successful. And then infrastructure, because, and maybe we'll get into it later, but there's home compostable and industrial compostable. Mm -hmm. And industrial compostable, pretty self-explanatory, you need basically industrial complex for that material to be composted. And we just don't have enough industrial composting sites in America today. Most of them are centered in urban areas and not so much in rural areas. And so you don't necessarily have, or the average American doesn't necessarily have equal access to those facilities to necessarily make it overly successful or, or I should say, completely dependent on composting as a solution. So like many of the materials we're talking about, you know, everything has a has a role to play. You know, composting isn't going to be the silver bullet that's going to fix all our problems with plastic. Right. Reuse, there's going to be still recycle, there's going to be composting, there's going to be all kinds of pieces to this puzzle. Are the requirements different between home compostable and industrial compostable? Are there standards of requirements of the differences or are they the same? Yes. So home compostable, again, the they did an excellent job naming these things, so it's very easy to sort of remember them to a degree. So home, home composting suggests that you can do it at home, not necessarily like in your kitchen, but within your home space. So home compostable means that it can be composted within a home environment, meaning a certain temperature range, usually around like... I think it's 60 to 70 or 80 degrees, somewhere in that range. Well, anything above 80 will do well. And then certain moisture levels, you have to have certain moisture levels present and as well as oxygen. So those environmental or atmospheric conditions can generally be achieved in a home setting. Whereas industrial composting requires environmental settings that you're never going to get in home. So extremely high temperatures, high moisture, high heat, well, actually I said already high heat, high oxygen. So those sorts of materials will have to be composted in an industrial setting. So those are important things to consider because, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of people just think, oh, composting, it's just one thing, I can do it anywhere. But no, there are two very distinct processes in place. So in home compostable, like I have a compost bin. I live in the Bay Area. I have a compost bin. I put stuff in the compost bin and I take it out to the street. So does that mean that that's being being taken to an industrial compostable facility, I assume, right? Yes. To my knowledge, municipal programs that have been set up to do composting are being brought to a facility. So just like you would have a recycling facility, that organic waste is going to a composting facility. And then home composting, which I don't do because I put it in the bin, but if I I do have a garden, but if I were going to, if I were going to do it, people I've, I've seen there's, you know, some like countertop compostable units that people are using and then also, you know, compost heaps in the backyard. So are there people doing a lot of home composting or, you know, what's, what's the movement there? I think there, I mean, there's definitely been an increase in the desire to compost. I believe that stems from people becoming increasingly aware mm-hmm. of the environmental conditions and waste and them wanting to play a part in the solution. 
it is still challenging for a lot of people. Um, not everybody can afford a countertop appliance. You know, we, yeah. we at Vandenberg have collaborated with Lomi, which is a, a home composting appliance. And I can tell you, you know, that that sort of an appliance costs uh, $500. So it's, it's yeah. not a, a cheap thing, but it does do the trick, especially if you don't have a yard to compost in, that's going to be your solution. For those that do have a yard, yeah, I mean, you want to definitely do compost heaps. But even that, of course, will have some restrictions because not all of us necessarily live in beautiful weather 24-7 every day of the like year. Me. Um, <laughs> like you see, I'm, I'm in New York, so in the winter months, whatever I would throw on my home compost heap is not going to actually perform its compostable duties. Uh, the microbes are inactive at those temperatures. So, but then well, if you, if you threw it out there and then in the, in the spring would, and you started turning the pile, it, it would work, right? Yes. So, you know, that's, you know, a concern because again, it's really a habitual change and a critical mind shift to do composting Again, in the you know, in the summer, no problem. You can go outside. It's lovely. You can do your activities. But in the winter, you know, our society today is not really wanting to go outside in the middle of winter, bringing out food scraps, throwing it into their pile, and and waiting till spring for it to finally do what it needs to do. But it can be done, and it does actually make a very big impact, especially if we're talking, you know, we're, we're talking about packaging, but you know. We're talking about any kind of organic food waste, so peels of your fruits and veg, or if you have pasta or whatever it might be, anything that's food and I can essentially can put in your body can be composted. So, and composting is a lot better for the environment than sending it to the landfill, where that product is going to be deprived of oxygen when they're breaking down and then releasing that methane. Mm-hmm. So, if you look at the material itself, what are some of the challenges around its compatibility with using it in various produce types and and what's the material itself like? Yeah. So there are obviously a lot of compostable materials out there today. And I, you know, I think it continues to grow. There's certainly a lot of innovation looking to nature for solutions. You know, the ones that come to mind today, you know, you have tree fibers, you have cornstarch, sugar cane, seaweed, mycelium, these are all fantastic materials that are given to us by nature and that can be used in different formats. You know, the challenges with them, inherently, there's nothing in nature, at least that we're aware of yet, that is transparent in, in nature. So mm-hmm. all of these materials will result in packaging. So if you're talking about clear packaging, whether it be like a pouch bag for grapes or or something like that, you're not going to necessarily have the same transparency uh, as you would with traditional plastic if you're using a compostable-based material. So that, that would be a, a challenge from a, a visual standpoint. And then from a more physical standpoint, it depends. It really depends on the material and what you're pairing it with the product. There are compostable materials that are make sense with certain products and others that do not. You know, tree fiber is a, is a great solution for netting. It's very strong. It's from a from a physical standpoint looks just like 
plastic mesh netting. But the unique thing with uh, tree fiber netting is as it's porous, it breathes because it's, again, it's wood based. So it actually even helps a little bit with shelf life because you have more airflow in that package versus plastic. So I tell this a lot to to people when I'm talking about sustainable packaging and, and, and fresh produce is it's almost like buying a house. You know, you got to you go in with your wish list, but you know <laughs> you're not going to get everything. Yeah, you have to be so, really aware and accepting that you're you're going to have to settle for a certain balance. And I think as long as we think that way, we can definitely get some of these innovative solutions into stores. So where is the technology coming from and who's developing it? And I know you've got some examples of the things that you've developed and worked on. And then also, have other industries done more to solve this? And what can we learn from what other industries are doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so as far as where this innovation and in tech is coming from, um, from my experience, it's really not been the big companies out there I would say they're the ones that usually follow. They'll they'll see something and they'll say, "Oh, this is great," and then they'll be the ones to mass produce it and and roll it out. But it's really coming from small companies, startups, usually younger people with a passion to disrupt the status quo. That's what I've seen with some of the packaging that we've adopted as a sustainable alternative. They've come from. Israel, they've come from Austria. You know, we looked all around the world. You know, we're not just looking at the US because these sorts of things are being worked on pretty much everywhere. And as far as, you know, what other industries are doing, of course, hard to say how far they are compared to us. I would say, just from an observational standpoint and based on some of the events I've attended as it pertains to sustainability, I feel like electronics have done a pretty good job with transitioning, you know, moving a lot from plastic based packaging to, to paper fiber based packaging. Of course, electronics, you know, people don't necessarily need to see the part, you know, you can make a very nice package and print it and make it look very pretty. Fresh Bros is different. People want to see what's inside the package. So it's a different animal. And I think that affects how, far progressing certain industries are when it comes to sustainable packaging. But I think the the challenge for our industry is we need to focus on that innovation and challenging the norms and not be afraid to fail because you're going to fail a lot. I mean, we've done it ourselves here, you know, for every 10, 20 bad ideas, you'll get a good one maybe. So, you know, the, the, this industry has traditionally been very, conservative and hesitant, I think, towards big changes. But I think that's what it's going to take for us to to get to where we want to be at a faster pace. You talked a little bit about not being able to see the product. And so when you look at how consumers are going to react to compostable packaging, how do you see the, the products that are out there? How do you see consumers interacting with them? And are they willing to make, like you said, you have to have these compromises and are they willing to compromise to, to have compostable? And, and how are we communicating these concepts with the public? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's probably a question on many retailers' minds. Yes, because <laughs> they're the gateway. They don't like it. Your consumers don't see it. Exactly. Um <laughs> Well, I think if we look at the core of it, consumers 
are, I think we've seen, you know, for me personally, and I think also from, from data and studies, consumers are hungry for solutions. And yeah. I think inherently people want to be part of the solution. They don't want to be part of the problem. And that to be part of the solution makes them feel good. So if they're buying something that they like and they feel like they're being part of something bigger that's helping, it's a win-win. So that's it. I think consumers today are willing to try and learn about these solutions if we give them the tools. So what does that mean? On a store level, I think it requires education via signage or, or, or demos of some sort. I think it has to do with the brand owners. If they do have a unique package, it requires they need to tell that story on the packaging, make it very evident and clear that this is something different and why it's different and why it's better. Beyond that, you know, I think it has, we have to look at education on a municipal and grander level. You know, as a kid, when I was a kid, it was all about recycling. I remember in elementary school, we, you know, we were always being blasted. You know, recycling is good. This is how you recycle. This is why recycling is important. I think the same thing has to happen with all waste streams. You know, uh-huh. I think recycling should obviously still be taught to the youth. But same thing with composting. Why isn't composting being taught? You know, this is something, again, going back to the beginning that we knew for centuries in our lifetime. So that should be part of it. Refilling, reusing, all these things uh, should be just as critical to the the level of teaching that I was exposed to to recycling when I was a kid. You know, and then going even beyond that, you know, commercials and marketing, NGO activities. You know, there has to just I think be increased effort to educate the greater public on how to do these things. And look, it's it's not going to be just one government or company or group that's going to be able to do this. It's going to take collaboration of everybody involved to really push this through. But I, I do truly believe that if we do give the tools to the consumer and make them aware of these things, they will support it and will work hard to adopt it within their lives. Does it necessarily cost more like right now, if a company wanted to change over to compostable packaging, does it cost, does it cost more than plastic? And is that part of the hurdle? Yeah, that's, that's also a big question. That's <laughs> question one, two, and three, before I even get to talk about anything else, usually the, the quick answer is it varies. Um, it mm. varies on the material and the packaging format. And the reason why it varies is obviously each technology is different. The, the, the source raw material is different, but also the scale is different. So generally speaking, with the right critical mass, these things won't really be all that more expensive, if more expensive at all compared to traditional packaging. The netting that we've used, our tree fiber netting versus the plastic netting is no difference in cost. And the reason why for that is the plastic netting uses plastic netting plus a film wrap. So you have two materials in there. Whereas the fiber-based netting, yes, the fiber-based netting alone compared to plastic netting alone is more expensive, but it's offset by the fact that you're using net less material. So that's just an example. But but there are definitely others that are a little bit more expensive. But you know, if I'm talking about you know grape bags, 
Again, we have home compostable alternative for our grape bags. We're talking maybe a 20 cent per bag difference. Now, that might seem like a lot once you convert it to a case level pack, but based on the research that's been conducted over many entities within the industry, uh, a majority of consumers are willing to spend about, I think the statistic was about 10 to 15% more on sustainable packaging. And so that, that number falls right into that, that realm. And honestly, I think a lot of consumers, because again, we're not talking by pound cost difference. So a 199 bag of grapes, you know, 20 cents, you're talking about charging extra potentially for the bag. And I don't see necessarily a consumer being put off by a 20% increase, especially if they understand that, look, this, this bag is not going to contribute to plastic waste and all the, the negative elements that come along with it. So again, I think it just comes down to, to education for the cost. Of course, there are going to be certain things out there that are very new, just like anything new. It doesn't matter if it's packaging or a TV or a car. They're always going to be very expensive out of the gate. But yeah. uh, once things are rolled out and the economies start to happen, things, things will fall into place from a cost standpoint. Yeah, I mean, that's almost any new technology until you scale it, you know, it's going to be more expensive, but we have to have those people willing to spend a little bit more money to, to start the pull so that, exactly. so that we can scale it. Yeah. If a company was interested in starting to use compostable packaging, a company that has a product in, in plastic now, mm-hmm. what, what would you recommend they do and how do they go about doing this transition? Because it, it changes a lot in the supply chain, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things to consider. If they have a true compostable material-based packaging, you definitely want to make sure it's certified mm. under recognized standards, whether that be DPI or TUV Austria or a few of the other recognized groups out there that certify compostable materials. That's critical because I think because of the environment that we are in today with everyone being very hyper aware of, of sustainable packaging and looking for it in the marketplace. Yeah. There's always bad actors and people put compostable on the packaging, but it might not actually be compostable or it's industrial, not home and people don't know what to do with it. So it's really important. I think first and foremost to get the proper certification and, and communicate that on your packaging. The second piece of it would be, yeah, offering transparency again to the consumers, how to properly dispose of that material, which again goes hand in hand with certification. And then when it comes to adopting it within the supply chain, what you have to be aware of, you're going to want to understand the lifespan of the product. Because again, Mm. it's a totally new concept when it comes to packaging, because for the most part, you could order materials years ahead and stockpile them and not have to worry about it. With compostable materials, a lot of them, because they're made for organic materials that will inherently break down, you can't necessarily execute orders that far in advance. There's mm. there's narrow windows. Instead of waiting three months to order plastic, you're going to have to time it out more because they're going to have to secure those raw materials because they're not going to just have this raw material sitting in the warehouse somewhere, they're going to have to essentially 
create those raw materials in the sense of uh, harvesting them or extracting them, whatever it is, and then convert it into that material. So it is a different way of thinking. I know that's been a mind shift for us as an organization when we are thinking about ordering this type of packaging. It's very different from ordering traditional paper or or plastic-based packaging. So yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Okay. As we wrap up, could you share your insights on the trajectory of compostable materials in the produce industry? What trends do you think we'll see and, and how is this going to how is this going to continue and change? And, and when are we going to see all compostable packaging? Yeah, when we all love that crystal ball, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that compostables will have a part to play. But again, I, I don't think they will ever be the only thing or solution for packaging. I certainly, again, believe that they will have a significant role to play. And I think wherever possible, it is a a fitting way to package produce because we're talking about a natural food that's produced by the planet. So what better way to package that product than in a material that can be returned back to the planet? So I think there's just an inherently a a nice story to tell with compostable materials. But yeah, I think for for it to really be successful and to grow, it's going to take more education. It's going to take infrastructure improvements, which ironically is, <laughs> I can make the same arguments for recyclabilities uh, or plastics and recyclable. We need better recycling infrastructure. We need better education of what can be recycled and what can't be recycled. So very similar challenges. But yeah, I think I think... The important thing to realize is that by incorporating more compostables into our packaging, not only are we eliminating plastic, but we are also enriching the soils from which that compost, the end result of the composting can be put back into, which again, kind of goes right back to our, the beginning of our talk about restoring that circularity. And, you know, this is separate from packaging, but obviously soil is a big part of sustainability too. And we have challenges in soil. So if we can take a problem with plastic packaging, create a solution for that, which then can domino into fixing other things and other challenges we have in sustainability, I think we have a, a really powerful solution at our disposal. Excellent. Well, that's a great point to end on. And I really appreciate your time, John, and and your knowledge on this and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's Fresh Takes on Tech. This entire season of the podcast focusing on issues associated with green packaging is supported in part by a grant from the USDA FAS Technical Assistance for Specialty Crops program. Eat your vegetables and I'll see you next time.